Why don't you all bow with me and let's pray to the Lord. Father, we thank you for our gathered time of worship here as well as at our other campuses and venues. And we pray, God, that as we have uh, focused our hearts and our minds upon you, as we have taken time out of our lives to gather as the church and to honor you as our God, as our Lord, as the only one worthy of our praise, that God, as we open up your book now and talk about this incredibly important subject before us, this idea of knowledge and how we gain knowledge of you and what that entails and what we're even to do with that, God, I pray that you might speak to each and every one of us here individually as well as to collectively us as a church. And Lord, our commitment back, as always, is to live a life set apart, uh, live a life focused upon you, live a life that gives glory to you and to your Son, Christ, in whose name we pray and the church says together, amen. So what we're doing in this series that we're in right now is we're building a structure. I need you to get that image in your mind. We're building a, a structure in your soul to help make you strong in your spiritual life. And it's important as we go along, you'll see why when we read the scripture in a minute, that you have this idea of, of erecting something, of building something, because that's the image that the scriptures give us. So let's take a look at a few images. You guys remember these? Uh, what are these? Are you guys with me? Are you awake? These are Lincoln Logs. <laughs> and Lincoln Logs, some of you grew up with, they, they are, are little logs that you build your little structure with. Uh, think about it this way, one log at a time built one upon the other as you build a structure. Or some of you younger people would have used these. These are Legos. But same idea, you're, you're building a structure, one block at a time, one upon the other. Or for some of you that are really old, remember this, the erector set. Some of you grew up with this, right? Some of you younger people have no idea what an erector set is. I mean, well, there's a reason they don't make them anymore. It's made of very sharp metal pieces that you give to your children and say to them, you know, build a structure. And there's nuts and bolts, and, and some of us grew up with these. I certainly did. Or as our creative arts people have been thinking about the, the new Jenga game. So, so again, one block at a time, you're building something. That's what we're doing in this series. Don't miss this. We're building a structure one piece at a time, one upon the other, but instead of a physical structure like logs or plastic blocks or sharp metal pieces, we're building a spiritual structure inside each of our souls, a structure using some God-given, God-designed, God-approved materials that he says can create a fall-proof kind of faith. That's what this series is about. But we're building a structure, each of us, in our souls. And we're allowing 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 to be our guide. This is Scottsdale Bible Church. Almost everything we do here must come out of his word. And so I spent some time this last summer thinking about where we wanted to go this winter, and 2 Peter uh, came to mind for me. And so with that image of building a structure in your soul, let me read for you again our theme passage for this series. And for those of you who are new, it's all going to fit together right now. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
you get the idea. <laughs> Where These are the Lincoln logs, the Legos, the erector set pieces, the Jenga blocks of what God wants you and I to assimilate into our very souls in order to build a fall-proof faith. And so far, we've looked at the first two building blocks that God gives us here, faith and virtue. And today, we get to the third one that we're adding to our structure in our soul, and that is knowledge, something that in some Christian circles has become the be-all and end-all of Christian experience, which is we're going to see today, it's not. But in other Christian circles, it hasn't been given enough due attention, and that likewise is tragic. And so our task today, in the next 40 minutes or so is to both understand what knowledge is and its utter importance to our faith, but then also firmly place it where it belongs, about third on a list of eight things that God wants us to build into our souls. So let's start real simple, as I do quite often, and let's define the term before us. How would you define knowledge? I mean, if you had to give a one-sentence definition of what knowledge is and then give a one-sentence definition to what Christian knowledge or theological knowledge would be, how would you do so? Well, here's what our world does. This is Webster's Dictionary, long-standing source on understanding English words, and they define knowledge as this, the condition of having information. And that seems to make sense. Uh, knowledge in our world today is the accumulation of facts, right? It's garnering information about something, understanding about something. And when you do, when you get that in your head, we say that you have knowledge. And what you need to know is that the Bible pretty much affirms this 20th and 21st century definition of knowledge, though as we're going to see in a few minutes, it is going to take it a little bit further. But the Bible, when it defines knowledge, pretty much agrees with our modern world. Uh, the Greek word for knowledge in 2 Peter is the Greek word gnosis, gnosis. It's used a couple, a dozen times in the New Testament, and it's used even more in the Greek version of the Old Testament. And the most advanced dictionary of Greek words that we have today, derived from looking at all the instances of gnosis in Koine Greek that the New Testament was written in, as well as classic Greek, uh, defines gnosis or knowledge this way. It defines it as the content of what is known. The content of what is known. This is from the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament based on semantic domains. So it's very similar, if you're tracking with me, to the English definition. Uh, gnosis, the Bible's definition of knowledge, simply means tapping into a body of information and then trying to understand the content of it. Uh, another New Testament source defines knowledge as intelligent comprehension. Again, the same idea. You're trying to understand or comprehend an entity before you. And here's what I want you now to think about before we move on. It's one thing to have this definition of knowledge, as our culture does, when it comes to things like history, mathematics, political science, physics, psychology, all the disciplines that you and I study, the condition of having information, the content of what is known. But imagine that God uses a similar definition and says that we can understand Him likewise. I mean, that's the profundity out of these two simple definitions of knowledge. 
our current understanding of knowledge, that we can accumulate facts and understanding about something and thus gain mastery of that discipline. Uh, But then the idea that the Bible defines knowledge of God similarly, not identically, but similarly, and tells us that we can know God in, in a similar way. I mean, think about it. In our daily lives, we define knowledge as gaining facts or information concerning a particular area of life. And this is good. It's how you and I grow, mature, become better people, and even succeed. If you're successful here today, whether it's in real estate or education or business or whatever your entity is, my guess is you become successful because you have gained some knowledge, right? You went to school, you did a tech training, or maybe you're self-taught, but whatever it was, you've gained some information, some knowledge that you've put to good use, and it's powerful, and it's made you very successful in your field of endeavor. But the Bible, what I need you to see today is that the Bible says is that the same is possible with God. Imagine that. Just like you can gain mastery and understanding in a particular area of study in life, God says, the Bible says, you can attain a content of what is known when it comes to God. And this is why knowledge is placed as one of the key building blocks to building a a vibrant faith because it's a core building block to knowing God. So before we move on to our main point that's going to put a lot of this together for you right now, let me share with you just very quickly a few fast facts about biblical knowledge, what the Bible says about knowledge that will kind of give us a little placeholder here as we enter into our main point in just a minute. So for those of you who like this stuff, you're going to love this. For those of you who don't, we'll be back with you in about five minutes. So here's fast fact number one, and that is that the Bible says every believer has some spiritual knowledge. This should encourage you. I mean, this should encourage you greatly. If you are are breathing here today and you're a believer in Jesus, the Bible says you have some, and very important, knowledge already. You have knowledge of your salvation. You have knowledge of a bit of what God is like. The, The Bible says in Romans 15, 14, that you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and that you can now walk with him. And that brings us to the second thing, and some of us don't like this, but it's true, some believers have more knowledge than others. And some of it isn't for the fact that some are lazy and some aren't, but the Bible says some people are actually gifted with knowledge, Romans 12, verse 8. And it doesn't mean that that the other people are dopey or not smart, it's just that God gives different gifts to the body of Christ, and some people have been gifted both naturally and spiritually to be able to attain and retain and understand and and help us understand complex things about God that all go back to knowledge, and and we rely on them. It's why you listen to Bible teachers and maybe read books or whatever you do, because some people have been greatly gifted by God to do that. And then uh, the third thing we need to understand about knowledge, and this is really important, is that our spiritual knowledge as believers is sufficient but limited. Really important to dial into. 2 Peter 1.3 says this. It says that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through knowledge of him, meaning Christ. So, so God says, the knowledge that I have given you we'll see how we tap into in a minute, is enough for you to live the life I want you to live. That should encourage you. But the Bible also says very clearly that the knowledge we have in light of who God is is very limited. So so Romans 11, it, it says, oh, the mysteries and the greatness of God, who can comprehend him? And what's the answer to that? 
no one. And so the knowledge that we have is enough, but you're still going to have a lot of questions. And then a fourth fast fact, knowledge can be dangerous and should be handled carefully. 1 Corinthians 8.1, you all know this passage, you just didn't know it was 1 Corinthians 8.1. In the King James, it says, knowledge puffeth up, right? So, so knowledge can make us proud, you can get arrogant, you can think you know more than you do or you can think you know more than somebody around you. And you gotta be careful with that because it can lead to pride. And then a fifth one, knowledge, and I kinda already hinted to this, we're gonna hit it real hard in a minute here. Knowledge is not the most important thing, though some Christians act like it is. Love is. Man, man this one is so clear in the Bible because they wrestled with this one 2,000 years ago. Ephesians 3:19. It, it says, uh, it says, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's what the Bible says. That love is the greatest entity. Knowledge is simply to feed into love. So with this little primer on spiritual knowledge, we're now ready for our main point. So here is the most important thing that you need to know about knowledge and why knowledge is such an important building block for constructing a fall-proof faith. And that is that knowledge ignites your walk with God. As I say quite often, if you don't hear anything else today, gang, hear this one. Knowledge ignites your walk with God, and that's why it is so critical. And obviously, the key word here is ignites. As I hinted to just a few seconds ago, knowledge, contrary to what some Christians think, is not the be-all and end-all of our walk with God. It plays a huge, critical, and indispensable role to be sure, but it's not the end goal. Knowledge is not, and it's not even all that matters. Please see, knowledge, and this is the best word picture I can give you, is an ignition piece. It's what starts the engine of your soul, because without it, you would know nothing about God. And as you go along, it's what helps keep it going, just like a, an ignition in your car does. Without the ignition, you can't start your car. But once you start your car, the ignition helps keep it going through the alternator and other things that create the electricity. But you still need a lot of other things to drive your car, amen? Like you might need a carburetor. You might need a transmission. You might need a drivetrain. You might need wheels. You might need you behind the wheel. And that word picture is rich because knowledge is a key component in our lives. It's the ignition. Without it, we'll ever know, go anywhere. But we also need other things, and we need to remember that. You need the other building blocks as well, things like faith, virtue, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and the greatest of all, love. So knowledge does play an indispensable role. It's just that it's not the only role. You know, when I was a kid, I, I told you guys I was a gearhead as a kid. I, I just fell in love with anything that had an engine when I was a, a little boy. And uh, I had my first mini bike when I was in fifth grade, and I just, I guess I was a good American. I just got bigger and better as I went along. And at one point, I bought a, a little Honda Z50. For those of you who know mini bikes, you would know what that is. Honda's premier little mini bike, a Z50. And I had a couple of them at one point, and, 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 and my very first one had a problem with it that took me months to figure out. And the problem was this. I would kickstart it, and it would start right up. The ignition would work. But whenever I would give it gas to try to get it to go anywhere, it wouldn't move. I mean, the engine would just not rev up. 
And you got to remember, this is small town Americana. There was no Honda shop in my hometown. There was even no mini bike shop in my hometown. The only advice I ever got on how to fix a mini bike growing up came from the John Deere shop in Chagrin Falls. And they really didn't have a lot of time for me. So I had to be completely self-taught on how to fix these, these mini bikes. And so I'm looking at it and the throttle cable's working and it's all going into the carburetor just fine. And I, it took me months to finally figure out what was wrong. And the problem was deep in the carburetor uh, where the float is. I won't bore you with all the details. And I finally figured out why gas wasn't getting into the cylinder head. And once I fixed it, I was able to ride my mini bike. Uh, but you know, that's a, a wonderful word picture of how some Christians sadly live their lives. They start the engine of their soul through knowledge, and the bike starts, but when they go to give it gas, no Christian like this, it doesn't go anywhere. Because they think that knowledge is all they need. They think that knowledge is going to get them completely to their sanctification. And the reality is, knowledge just ignites your soul. And it is part of keeping you going, but without the other stuff, you're in bad trouble. Now, once we get all this, the role of spiritual knowledge, both its indispensable nature as well as its place in the grand scheme of things, the obvious $10 question that I want us to spend the rest of our time on this morning answering is simply this. How do we get spiritual knowledge? How precisely do we know things about God, things that we need to ignite our faith and get us going and keep us going? And though I know this is a little bit of a heady sermon, I told my wife that last night, I said, you know, this sermon on knowledge, uh, ironically, is more heady in nature. And I know it's heady, and some of you I can see droopy eyelids on, and so I, I need you to try to tune in right now, wake up, wake up, wake up, and pay very close attention to what I'm going to talk about right now, because this is something most Christians don't get, and that is that it's when we ask the question, how do we discover knowledge from God, it's here that we depart from the way that our world discovers knowledge. You see, our world discovers knowledge how? They go out and find it, right? So if you're successful in business or if you're successful in whatever endeavor you do, my guess is you just went out and you learned it and you discovered knowledge which this world is so good at providing for us. If you want to study physics, you can learn physics. If you want to study mathematics, you can learn mathematics. If you want to study other cultures, go there, and you can learn more about them. That's how our world gains knowledge, and it makes sense. But God, don't miss this, does not function that way. And you're saying, well, why is that? Well, it's very obvious once you think about God. God is God. And by his very nature, he stands outside of this physical world. Theologians call it his transcendence. Philosophers call it metaphysics. The fact that physics is this physical world, but metaphysics is outside of or above this world. And because God is transcendent, because he is metaphysical in nature, here it is, then it makes sense that he's not going to be discovered in the ordinary way that we discovered knowledge within this world. Give me a head down that you all understand that. See, a lot of people in the world don't understand that. They think they can just go out and find God. I think God smiles at that one because <laughs> he says, you're not thinking big enough. You're thinking awfully small if you think you're going to discover me in the trees 
or discover me in a vortex in Sedona, or discover me even, because this is very Scottsdale, through using your rational mind to understand me. Reinhold Niebuhr nailed it years ago when he said, when the finite looks into the infinite, he gets dizzy. And that's the reality, is that how arrogant we are to think that we can discover God on our own. And here's the beautiful thing, gang, God gets that. So he's invented a much different system for us to understand and gain knowledge of him that veers and departs from the way that our world discovers knowledge. Let me explain to you how God has set up the whole thing for us to discover knowledge about him. It's kind of a progression here. I I hate the word formula because too many Christians are formulaic. It's a progression that God lays out for us on how if we follow the progression in our minds and hearts, we can understand and gain knowledge about him. And the whole progression begins with what we call revelation. Uh, revelation. And by revelation, I don't mean the book of revelation. I mean the concept of revelation. Think about it. If God exists and if God wants us to know him, then wouldn't it make sense that God would reveal himself to us? I I think it would. I I mean, any God that doesn't reveal himself would be an awfully unloving or at the least shy God. (laughs) And God has declared in the Bible he's not that way at all. God is a self-disclosing God. He is one who wants us to know him, and so he reveals who he is and what he is about. And it's interesting, when you read the Bible, this should blow you away, the Bible over 3,000 times uses a single word that we translate into the English, and it's the word word to communicate that God speaks and that God moves and that God reveals. It's the Hebrew word dabar, it's the Greek words rhema and logos. We define, we, we translate it in the English throughout the Bible as the word, and you all know the phrases. I mean, this will now make sense to you. You ever read the Old Testament and it says, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah or Ezekiel or Elijah or Elisha or Moses. In other words, what did God do? God spoke. He said, I think I'm, I'm going to say something to this dude right here so that he can lead the nation Israel. And they trusted that. They're called the prophets. The word of the Lord came to. And, wh- and what did the prophets say? Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> right? And then the prophets spoke the word of God. And then somebody had the wonderful idea to write it down so that we have the word of the Lord. And then Jesus came on the scene, and what did Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say unto you. So Jesus spoke the very words of the Father to you and I. Are are, are you getting the idea here, guys? Simply notice the fact that God reveals himself in what the Bible calls his word, a divine utterance or expression, really important to see. And then something happens next in this progression that is really rich, And that is that God decided to inspire, we call it inspiration, uh, men to write what we call the scriptures. 
He inspired men to write the scriptures. Oh, and by the way, your, your, your proof text for this one, because some of you hate it when I don't show you in the Bible, where it is Matthew 4, 4, uh, where Jesus says that, uh, well, let's just read it real quick. Go back to Matthew 4, 4. It says, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, say this word with me. Say it again. Word that comes from the mouth of God. So there it is right there. It's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. And then God says, to add more texture to this, that, that he has then inspired men to write the scriptures that contain his revelation and word. And, and this is found in 2 Timothy 3.16. The Bible self-attests to all of this. And this is a really, really rich pa passage. All scripture, I looked up that word all this week. You know what it means? All. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This little phrase, breathed out by God, is fascinating in the Greek. It's actually one word in the Greek, the translation that breathed out by God. is one word in the Greek, and it's a made-up word by Paul the Apostle. He, he took two common Greek words, the Greek word theos, that means God, and the Greek word noustos, that means breath, and he put them together. And he says, here's how God has communicated his revelation to us. He has breathed out, theos noustos, God breathing through human writers, his truth and his will to you and I. Whoa. And, and over a 1,500-year period of time, it became a 66-book group of books called the Bible. And God has given us his revelation. Remember your old saying, penny for your thoughts? Like you're sitting there with your sweetheart and you're wondering what she's thinking and you say, hey, penny for your thoughts. God has given us his thoughts and he doesn't even ask you for a penny. He just says, I, I think I'll share them with you right now. He has spoken in and through his word that's been now inspired into the scriptures. And we're not done yet. The Bible then goes on to talk about a fourth part of this equation and theologians call it uh, illumination. Illumination, simply put, when we read the Bible, what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, now isn't this awesome, helps us understand what God has said. He illumines our minds and our hearts. And you're saying, where's that? Well, look at Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God, his revelation inspired through the scriptures, now, now this is wild, is living and active. Wait a second. How can it's a, it's a it's a book? <laughs> Suppose a words on a page. How, how can it be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart? <laughs> you ever read the Bible and had God zap you? Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> you ever read the Bible and maybe? Come, on, come away with an amazing insight that you go, wow, I, did, I didn't have that one 10 minutes ago. But you ever heard somebody preach and explain something from the word to you about God and go, whoa, that, that's amazing. I, I, I never knew that. See, could that be the Holy Spirit illuminating your mind and your heart to understand the things of God? I, I think it could. And what I simply need you to see is that this is God's process for you and I to do what? to gain knowledge about him. This is his process. Revelation, inspiration, scriptures, illumination. 
This is his plan to disclose to us who he is. This is the process that we understand him through. And what I need you to see, this is so important, because again, I don't think many Christians recognize this, and we, we muddy the waters greatly, is that this is subtly different from the way that our world discovers knowledge. I, I mean, as I, as I said to you earlier, the way that you discover knowledge in the world, and this is a good thing, is to go on a holy hunt and try to find it. And, and again, many of you have done very well doing that. I mean, if you're a mathematician, you've just gone out and learned math. If you're a physicist, you've gone out and learned physics. If you're a, a cultural student, you've gone to the cultures and understood them. But you need to see that if we drag that kind of inquiry into the metaphysical world, into this transcendent God, it's not going to work. Because God changes the rules a bit when it comes to himself. Because of his transcendence, he lets us know that we can only have knowledge of him, now don't miss this, through his self-disclosure, not through us simply trying to rationally understand him. Maybe this will help some of you finally put this together. Uh, many people in the world today try to understand God from the ground up. God says, I can only be discovered from the top down. The only way you're ever going to understand me, God says, is to stop striving in your own thinking to understand me and to recognize I have already revealed myself to you in history, in my word, and I want to do it now in your heart, but you have to come to me on my terms. This is how we gain knowledge of God. And I believe this is why so many people today are confused by God, because they're trying to understand him in the normal way of the world. They're trying to understand and discover God when God turns the tables on us and says, look, I've already discovered you, and I've revealed myself to you in my son and my word. Go there, and you're going to find me. And this is such a rich thing for you and I to understand in our walk with God. I had a neat experience the other day, neat because I love it when I think the light goes on in people's heads, and I had a guy email me and then come up to me after a service and talk to me about his email, and he, he asked the question, how do we know God is good? Great question. How do we know God is good? And both in email form, because I have other pastors that help me with my email, but I read every one of them, and I, I give a verbal answer and say, say this, and they, they do a good job of doing that. And, and in email form as well as verbal form, I said the same thing to him. I said, the, the bottom line way that we know God is good is because the Bible tells us he is good. And he looked at me like some of you are right now and saying, that's too easy. You can't just say because the Bible says it, that it must be true. And I said, who says I can't say that? I mean, when we sang to our kids, you remember what you sang to them? Jesus loves me, this I know. Finish it with me. For the Bible tells me so. See, we think that's just a pedantic little nursery rhyme. It's not. Watch this. It's a rich, philosophical understanding of a self-disclosing God who loves us and says, I want you to understand me. How do I know he is good? Well, maybe I'll experience his goodness, and wouldn't that be wonderful? But maybe I won't. If my wife dies and leaves me, if my kids go off the deep end, if I get financially broke, if I get a terrible health problem, I'm probably not going to say, isn't God good? Because my experience is telling me right now that this world stinks, and I'm wondering where God is. So I need to have something more about the goodness of God than just my own experience. Are you tracking with me? 
because as my own experience, I'm up and down. Ephesians 4, every wind and wave of teaching is going to throw me. No, I know God is good because the Bible tells me he is good. And I'm not just saying something moronic like the Bible says, I believe it. What I'm saying is, is that we have a self-disclosing God who has revealed himself in history and through his word and has been inspired over thousands of years. And we trust it because many people have read it, believed it, and staked their lives on it and won. And when I read it, he illumines my mind and helps me understand him. That's how I know he is good. But to put it briefly, the Bible tells me he's good. But don't ever let anybody fool you. There's a lot more behind that than just saying because the Bible says it. But at the end of the day, it really is a self-revealing God, revealing himself through his word, and that's how we have knowledge of him. Uh, this, this, this illustration might help. I'm running out of time fast, but um, this is a, a, a home that I found on the internet. Don't worry, honey, we're not moving. It's a, uh, it, it, I, I typed into Google kit home because I wanted to go somewhere with this. And, and a kit home is a home that you can build essentially by yourself if you don't have a tremendous amount of building knowledge because it comes as a kit and this is made by Linwood Homes, and it's actually a nice-looking home. I mean, it's got beautiful gables and pitched roofs and stone front and nice siding and, you know, great double-pane windows and all that stuff. And it comes as a kit, and, and it comes with great instructions, and it comes with all the hardware you need. You don't even have to go to Home Depot to build this home. You just have to have the tools. And then my guess is you'd have to have somebody lay the foundation, and you need a, a plumber and electrician and an HVAC guy because you can't do that by code by yourself. But, but many people built homes by themselves without a lot of, uh, of construction experience through what we call a kit home. Why do I share that with you? God says to us that when it comes to building our spiritual home, when it comes to erecting a spiritual structure, which is what we're after in this series, now watch this. He says, none of you could do it unless it comes as a kit home. <laughs> he says, none of you on your own are a master builder, a construction person, a craftsman uh, that could build a home like this on a spiritual level on your own. You're too fallen. Your finite mind is too finite. You do not have the skills. Unless God sends you the materials, unless he gives you his revelation, his inspiration in the scriptures and illumines your mind, unless he sends you all those materials, you'll never put it together. And here's the sad reality, guys. I see people all the time try to do this on their own, and it just becomes pathetically obvious. I was in a home 10 years ago when I first moved here. Kim and I were visiting a, a, a dear friend of ours, and he owned a, a nice half-million-dollar home here in uh, North Phoenix, and, and, and he had a bunch of kids and raised all the kids in this home. And, and at one point, he was giving me a tour of his home, and uh, we walked into this one room, and, and, and I looked around, as soon as I walked into the room, something felt very different about this room. And it took me about two minutes of looking closely at this room to realize that this used to be the third bay of his garage. I, I mean, what gave it away initially was no windows. And, and then I looked even closer, and there weren't many heating, cooling vents, and the plugs weren't where they normally would be, and, and, and the drywall wasn't all that done all that greatly. And I, I looked at him, I said, you did this, didn't you? <laughs> And he proudly looked at me and said, yes, I did, you know. And I said, and, and you're not a builder, are you? And he said, no, I'm not. And, <laughs> and in all humility, I thought to myself, you know, if I, if I had tried that, it probably wouldn't have looked that good because I don't do that for a living. I'm obviously a pastor. 
but it was obvious that he started from scratch and he just did it himself and it was okay, but it wasn't like the rest of the house. See, I think there's a lot of Christians that try to live their life like that. They come to church and hear a good sermon. They say, my, wasn't that good? What's for lunch? You know, and then they, they go on their way and, and, and they don't read the Bible themselves, really, because when they do, they don't get much out of it because we're so pragmatic today. And, and, and they don't listen to sermons on tape. They are now on the radio. They don't engage in Bible study. They, they, they just kind of do the once a week thing. And then they wonder why their life is so anemic, why their knowledge isn't very strong, why they're not very mature in Christ. And could it be because, see, here's the point, all the time that you're just doing your own thing, you're basically, you're still building a structure. You're just building it all on your own. <laughs> you're building it with what you think is right. Remember the book of Joshua, everybody did what was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. You're just doing that. But, but you're still a Christian. Again, for the analogy earlier, you started the minibike. It's ignited because you got enough knowledge. It's just that you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and could it be because you haven't dialed in to how God has revealed himself? He's revealed himself to you, and his word ignites your very life. Without his word, you would understand, now watch this, nothing about justification, sanctification, the mission of the church, how family and parenting should work, God's design for marriage, the role of the Holy Spirit, the nature of Jesus as God and man, how to handle money, should I go on and on? I mean, all the things that, that we know today about how to live a godly life, remember 2 Peter 1.3, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through knowledge of him. And every time we try to veer from that, we get in trouble. Let's ignite our lives with the Word of God. Now, one last thing before we go, one final thought. We have about 10 minutes left that we need to understand about the nature of spiritual knowledge and the spiritual structure we are building in our souls. And this is our take-home point. I always give you a take-home point to chew on throughout the week, and here it is. Uh, allow knowledge to guide you to Christ-like action in your life. Allow knowledge to guide you to Christ-like action in your life. And I know how some of you think, because you think like me, you're thinking, well, duh, who wouldn't do that? Let's talk about that for a second. You know, one of the richness of, of the Bible is that many of the words in the Bible, are, as we've seen today, are subtly different from English words today, and they're, they're very pregnant in meaning. And so we mentioned at the start of this message the, the idea of knowledge, you know, that, that knowledge according to our world today, you remember this, is the accumulation of facts. And because we define knowledge today as the accumulation of facts, watch this, we make a distinction in our 21st century living between knowledge and experience. Give me a head nod that you all understand that. So my friend Ed here is in the front row. Ed can go out and, and accumulate facts about something but he has the option to not experience that, right? So say for the sake of argument, he loves horses. <laughs> and so he goes out and he reads a bunch of books on horses, but he never gets on a horse. That would be an example of, and we do it all the time in our daily lives, of accumulating facts about something and then not experiencing it. And, and that's a distinction we make in our modern day world. Now watch this. The Bible knows nothing of that understanding of knowledge. You're saying, what do you mean? <laughs> that word gnosis that I mentioned earlier, here's the, here's the problem. There is no Greek word for experience. There is not. 
I mean, we have the English word experience to describe an experience. No Greek word exists for that. You know why? Because from Plato to Aristotle to Socrates to the New Testament writers to the early church fathers, whenever they used the word gnosis, they assumed experience. Isn't that wild? They, didn't, they basically said, you can't have facts about something that you're not willing to experience. You cannot have facts about something that you're unwilling to follow through on. Look at how Tidnet, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, communicates this to us. It's talking about this word gnosis and knowledge. It says, knowledge of God, then, is acknowledgement of his grace, power, and demand. We know that so that we have knowledge, not as mere information or mystical contemplation, but only in its exercise. A movement of will is involved. This is implicit in the understanding of gnosis. Look at what goes on to say. Implied in gnosis are comprehension, ability, and a grasp of what needs to be done. Thus, knowledge is neither observation nor mystical vision. It comes to expression in acts or in action. Whoa! So, this idea of allowing knowledge to lead us to an experience of God is not just implied, it's contained, which I guess means implied, in the Greek understanding, the New Testament understanding of what it means to have knowledge of God. Some of you will be embarrassed by this illustration, but to me it's always been richly profound. In the Greek version of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint, uh, in Genesis 4.1, it's translated in the English this way. It says that, that, that Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. Adam knew Eve. Why do they translate it new? I mean, they're talking about the sex act there, that Adam had sexual relations. Well, the reason they translate it new is because it's the Greek word gnosis. Now, now if you just read that in the original Greek, and, you know, Adam gnosis Eve, and they bore a son, you know, it might sound confusing, but not to a Greek understanding of gnosis, because by its very nature, it involves action. It involves being experientially involved with that you're describing. And so the point is clear, that you and I must allow knowledge, spiritual knowledge, to run the gamut in our lives. Here's my challenge to you. Don't ever know something about God that you're also not living. Amen? Don't ever do that, gang. And, and, and again, I know some of you are thinking right now, last thought, you're thinking, well, that's easier said than done. Yeah, you're right, it is. It really takes knowledge, as I warned you earlier, to a whole new level, doesn't it? But, but here's what you need to know, and maybe this will be a helpful conclusion to this. I'm in it with, I'm in it with you. I, I really am. I don't know why God does this, but, you know, I study the Bible, obviously, a lot, and I thank you guys that you allow me to do that and let me be your, 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 one of the Bible teachers here. But, you know, when I'm studying the Bible, and it's usually on Thursday, I'm doing all my exegetical work, and... And by the time I'm putting it together on Friday, God never lets me escape this. The Holy Spirit is constantly screaming to my mind, what are you going to do with this? I don't know why. I just I can't seem to get away from that. And as I do an audit of my spiritual experience, sometimes I'm like, thank you, God. And other times my head is bowed. I'm like, shameful, God, you know, that, that I'm just not anywhere near I'm going to talk next week about self-control. That's going to be a difficult message for me to get through uh, in some areas of my life. 
But you know what I'll do this whole week as I study self-control? Is I will be asking myself, what are you doing with this Rasmussen? Why do I do that? Because knowledge, gnosis in the Bible, always needs to make its way to the action part of our lives. The reformers put it this way. They used Latin to describe this. They, they called it notitia ascensus fiducia, which simply are Latin words that mean knowledge, assent, and essentially faith or will. And their argument was that in order to truly understand God, you need to have knowledge of him, then you need to give firm assent or belief to what you know, and then you need to say, I'm going to trust it and live it out. Notitia, ascensus, fiducia. And that's my challenge to you. Let's not know anything about God that we're not willing to be open to him working through in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all that you are to us and for the fact that you are so much bigger, more glorious, magnanimous than we could ever, ever comprehend. But I thank you as well, Lord, that you allow us into an understanding of yourself, that you allow us into this knowledge of the holy that we can have, impart this side of heaven, a knowledge that is sufficient, a knowledge that is enough for us to know you and walk with you. And so, God, I know the hearts of many of the people here. They love you. They want to know you. They want to find their lives hidden in Christ, as the old-time saints used to say. And so, God, as that is our desire, please lead us into those still waters. Lead us, Lord, into, into that even valley for our lives in which your rod and your staff comfort and guide us. God, lead us to yourself. And God, we will never be the kind of people who just allow knowledge to be enough. God, we will always be the kind of people who add to our knowledge self-control and then uh, self-control steadfastness and steadfastness godliness and godliness brotherly affection and brotherly affection love. God, will work our way up the ladder, but give us the right understanding of you. Protect us in our thoughts and may you guide us to you, we pray in Jesus' name. And we say together, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.